Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everyone. Tonight, we look at the third part of Zhang Zimou's trilogy of films, uh, The Curse of the Golden Flower from 2006, following on from Hero and House of the Flying Dragons. House of the Flying Daggers. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> you're getting your Game of Thrones spin-offs moved I'm, get, there, I'm getting you? my the shows I'm not watching confused. <laughs> well, on my I, 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 I have a Cody box, right? So it sort of downloaded it and it got confused between House and House of the Dragons. Yeah. So you combined them all together. <laughs> <laughs> one one half of that will be satisfying watching, the other not so much. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't gone for House of the Dragons yet, but, okay. but I do love my house. Yeah. And he got very confused. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I've distracted you. Yeah, that's fine. Before we've even started. Uh, but before we obviously get on to that, it's time to ask, as always, what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your attention, if anything? So, just one thing this month. Um, I think I mentioned before, I'd finally managed to pick up the only Yazuzo Masamura film that was on released in the UK on Blu-ray a few months ago. Finally got around to watching it. It's 1966's Red Angel. Just to remind you, this is from the director of Iretsumi, which we must bring to the show. Um, Black Test Car and, of course, um, Giants and Toys. So sort of the, the, quite a few of his movies have made it over, although as a percentage, tiny percentage. But anyway, Red... Red um, Red Angel, black and white movie, 1966. Um, it's ostensibly a war film. It's about a sort of young nurse called Sakura Nishi, who um, during the Second Sino-Japanese War, so basically the Second World War for the for the Japanese and Chinese, you know, that's what was going on in that theatre on the whole. Um, and I don't know what I was expecting, mate, but what I wasn't expecting is something as dark and grim as this in in the best way um obviously so the japanese are quite well known for i don't know what the word is i want to say whitewashing but that comes with all sorts of other connotations but they don't really fess up to what they got up to in in their sort of colonial war period of the sort of the early sort of the late 19th early 20th centuries so you know it's, it's really interesting to see a film like this, which is so anti-war, that's so nihilistic about what the Japanese were up to during the the Sino-Japanese War. Um, basically, it feels a bit like the Insect Woman, if you remember that, where you know we follow a female character through over a period of time in different locations. So she starts off um, as a nurse in a sort of hospital in occupied China but miles away from the front line um, she sort of fresh faced and keen to help and then she ends up getting raped by one of the people she's looking after and all the other patients watch on by and then she moves to the front line of the war and actually the guy the guy got punished the guy that raped her got punished by being sent back out to the front lines um, and she seems to have some sympathy for him, um, but she encourages a doctor to give him a blood transfusion, which all goes wrong, and he dies. And this this is basically how it goes. She goes from location to location, back and forth, trying to use her womanly abilities to give care to the injured, to give care to people or, or people that are serving. So there's another guy with no arms that she thought that she 
basically has a romantic attachment with and he dies and she falls in love with a heroin addicted older man who, who's the sort of the chief surgeon what it's like mate it's like a japanese version of mash without any jokes <laughs> it's it, it feels very much like that um anyway i won't spoil it all but it was bloody amazing is what it was um and then looking at some of the extra features on it it sort of turned out it is from a that there are a number of Japanese films which have this very critical look at at, at war and how they acted, or, or the Japanese as a whole acted during the war period. Um, unfortunately, it's it didn't seem to get a huge release, and it's quite it was quite expensive to buy. But I bought it directly from Arrow in the end when I was buying my SureScope box set number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, hi, highly highly recommended. I assume it's on the Arrow player. Um, it's yeah it's it's really good it's no giants and toys but it's 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 a completely different feel very you know if you want a a not feel good war movie definitely go for it oh yeah and then later on comfort women spread a a cholera epidemic it's touching all those bases that japanese people don't want you to or the japanese uh, hierarchy don't want you to hear about really good really good what about yourself sir well, I can't say I watched anything as jolly as uh, you did. <laughs> but no, I actually um, looked, because um, at the moment as we record this, we are at the start of September, and for myself it's the warm-up to Hooptober, which will obviously be in October, and having a whole bunch of stuff that I'm just going on my watch list to clear off. So this was kind of like a, a bit of a palate cleanser, and... Um, because I saw it on Netflix, I thought, well, better make a, most of it being on there. So um, I checked out One Piece, the One Piece movie Stampede from 2019. Uh, this is a standalone film that was created to celebrate the an- the anime's 20th anniversary. Um, so it's a completely standalone adventure, which sees Monkey D. Luffy and the Straw Hat Pirates being invited to a massive pirate festival. As they compete with uh, many of the friends and enemies they've made along their journey to capture a piece of Roger's treasure. Roger obviously being the main pirate whose one piece uh, treasure they're all looking for over the course of the series. But um, along the way they find themselves up against a one of his former crew members named Bullet who has the devil fruit power of Clay Clay which enables him to basically bind with anything be it his giant submarine or a village or just basically this whole little island um to turn himself into bigger and better forms of himself the main gist of the the film is basically just to celebrate one piece in all its forms be it the video games or the anime or the manga you will see characters from all different aspects of the series brought together so if you've been following the series for a long time there's a lot of fan service here as you get to see dream team ups you get to see your favorite characters all coming together and battling against uh this huge pirate named bullet um for myself who is about 17 episodes into the anime there's a whole bunch of characters i had no clue who they were but you know it was just really entertaining the joke part the jokes in it are really funny the action at this point has gone from being this kind of like fun pirate romp with characters having like superpowers like rubber ability or the ability to remove their limbs to now just being like full-scale Dragon Ball Z-style fighting powers as uh, characters basically scream and hurl themselves across the screen and go to such powered-up lengths that the animation reduces itself down to just line drawings that are that powerful. But, you know, it was fun and it's simply enough to follow even if you're not familiar with One Piece. I think it does a good enough job just to provide you with the basics so you can sit and enjoy this sort of crazy pirate romp. But no, I definitely uh, got a kick out of it. It reminds me I need to get back into One Piece. Same way I need to get back on the Dragon Ball train because we've not had a Dragon Ball chat in quite a while. So um, yeah, let's get back on that. So I think I think you've mentioned One Piece before. I have. I think I mentioned it because we, when I started started on it i mentioned the basics uh of what one piece mm. is and yeah because i have a weird re- I, i've never seen an episode of one piece <laughs> but i have two connections with it one yeah. is um during lockdown last year 
I picked up a couple of um, Bandai Wonder Swans, which is sort of a, ga- a Japanese games console, sort of a, a, a sort of a competitor to the original Gangster Game Boy. And the game, one of the games that came with it was a one-piece fighting game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a yeah, like a year kung fu level sort of basic okay. two-person fighting game. But that it kind of makes more sense now. You've described what it's about. And the other thing was. I think the first time I visited Hong Kong, I went for a wander round down by. Um, I'm going to say like as if you've been there, but the, the, there's the, there's they've got their equivalent, the Walk of Stars. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you know, where where people have stars, you know. So there's Jack yeah. Chan's got a star, and everybody we've ever heard has got a star, and there's some statues of some famous people, and right next to it there was like this. Um, there was this square, and I had lunch there, and then there was this sort of exhibition, a free exhibition, right? Now I know, and so there were these giant sort of sets and artwork, which I now know was from One Piece. Okay. And I've got, like, this little thing I got free there, of a th- like a 3D model, and it's all One Piece, but of course it's all in Chinese, so it doesn't say One Piece on it, it just has it in, in Chinese characters, and I didn't know what it was until you talked about it last time, <laughs> and then I sort of checked all the graphics from that game and stuff like that. So yeah, I've been to a One Piece um, <laughs> anime a- exhibition in, in Hong Kong, and didn't really know what I was doing, it was very nice, the artwork was very nice, and obviously it was all blown up and it was all done in sort of in, in sort of a 3D style, and it was very impressive. But I had not a clue what it was. Utterly wasted on me, but it was raining outside, and it, I spent a nice hour and a half in there. Yeah. So there you go. Well, One Piece is another series, most like Dragon Ball. It's so part of the pop culture that you probably stumble across bits and pieces of it without even realizing. I mean, they've obviously got the very popular games, which are kind of like Dynasty Warriors, but with One Piece characters. They're on, like, you know, the PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah. Um, but, no, I, I, as I, said, I love the, the world of One Piece where you've got all these pirates who are setting sail across this, basically, this ocean world to try and find this treasure, this great pirate. And you, some pirates have the special abilities because the devil fruit and there's different devil fruit, which gives you different powers. Luffy, obviously, eating a piece of fruit from the gum gum tree as the One Piece rap told us, uh, which means he has rubber abilities. And uh, Buggy, who's the clown pirate, has a piece of fruit from the chop chop tree, uh, which enables him to move, remove his limbs. But if you ha- eat the devil fruit, you can no longer swim, which is a real kicker when you're on a on a world which is mainly water so it's like it's like um superhero water world yeah cool. essentially you know we've probably just like killed the coolness of this show yeah i know i know i know where it was going to be going to be ours or when netflix finally released their live version which you could go on there now and you can say i want to add this to my watch list so whenever they release that you they're can... doing a lot okay that's the next big project, and I've seen some of the, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it all looks very exciting. But at the same time, they're putting it into the same level of effort that the Cowboy Bebop live-action remake had, and of course, people just completely tore that to pieces. Mm. Um, and then Netflix did the usual thing of ending up on a cliffhanger and axing it. Which brings us to my next question: Why do Netflix keep making shows with cliffhangers? Why can we no longer have the old model where it's self-encapsulated? Be it yeah, like, like a done-in-one. Yeah, so you, like you, when you look watched. at Buffy, yeah, see, like season one, you had the big villain and it was done. You didn't have this like, oh, will she get out of this predicament by the next um, season? I think there was one exception to that, and that's where she left Sunnydale and became Anne for like one episode. I think, I think it's it's been the nature of Netflix's model. Obviously, Netflix don't make a lot of this stuff. They just brand it, don't they? But they they <laughs> they are encouraging people to make interesting and different shows. And I guess if you are making a show and Netflix have bought it up, it maybe does it not suit you to put it keep it on a cliffhanger so you might get a season two? 
I guess that's 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 my impression. But Not I'm much really, more... because I'm less inclined to watch if I know it's going to end on a cliffhanger. Well, I and think especially now, it's not going to end. Yeah, because we know it's going to die. <laughs> it's going to be killed off. Um, but yeah, I do prefer watching. I, I I quite like sort of Netflix's, you know, ten episodes, binge it, and and that's it. And if you have a second series, we have a second series, and they're never as good, are they? Um, but yeah, I hate. I mean. What's the show? Oh, I mean, other uh, Fox do worse, don't they? Where they just cancel shows halfway through the season. Things like, um, well, Firefly's the classic, isn't it? Um, what else did they Firefly, do? Firefly, they, they really sort of messed up by the fact that they started with episode two oh, and didn't show the pilot episode until right at the end of the series, which well, basically... Well, Disney, but Disney Plus have done this. They, they've, um, with their She-Hulk show, they decided that... You, the, the origin story is going to be like episode seven, and then they feel well, people might want to know who the She Hulk person is, so they retooled episode seven to be the pilot to, to be the opening show. You see, I've and, only just got um, Disney subs back, so I haven't watched it yet. But at the same time, I'm faced with the prospect of dealing with Wish version of Hulk. Wish version, yeah. Oh, you mean, you mean um, <laughs> it's oh. like we had a Hulk, and then we thought we're just getting another one off Wish, and we ended up with Ruffalo. You mean Mark Ruffalo? It's okay. It's I like quite like the White I Toast quite, Hulk. I quite like the um, the G Hulk show. I know it's getting a lot of weird hate, but I think that's because people don't understand what it's riffing on—a very specific version of the G Hulk comic, which is all about fourth wall breaking down and stuff like that. And yeah. it's thirty minutes long instead of anything around 48 to an hour and 20 long like like the last few shows have been I'm, I'm really enjoying it um but i can see that i, I get why people don't like it but it's because they don't understand the On best the show end, that they did was murdoch yeah. and they cancelled it oh that was really good yeah that was a Hulu show, wasn't it? It was a Hulu show, but it's, yeah. it's on the Disney so, so thing Pat, now. Pat, Pat and Oswalt and, and stop motion stuff. It was amazing. Yeah, and I think it had Dirk Bennett, I want to say, from SNL as well. Oh, I can't remember. I, I just remember it was a bit of a passion project for, for Pat and Oswalt. Um, but that was good. I, I, I'm going to have a rant, though. I think new new bits of the show we just talk about anything we watch right so talking about marvel i finally watched thor love and thunder last night okay now i love thor ragnarok i love the director i love jojo rabbit and other things that he's done i thought thor ragnarok is probably the greatest marvel movie of all time because it's 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 funny it leans into the whole jack kirby visuals it's got multiple storylines going on and it's also utterly throwaway yeah but it's there's a lot going on there. What the fuck is Love and Thunder? <laughs> I, don't, I have I not seen it yet, so it's I'm like two dre- behind. It's dreadful. It's like... Taika Wakiki, what were you thinking? I don't think he was, because I think he was too busy getting into... Was it Ariana Grande? Uh, is that what he's up to? That, that's oh. the thing. As soon as he... It's, yeah, on your game, and then you meet a pretty girl, and it just... Dumb as a chimp. It it it's. I mean, there are bits to like in it, and I imagine I'll go back to it and maybe enjoy it all. Maybe I was in a bad mood yesterday, but it's just it's just dreadful and tonally inconsistent. And I know that he can he's capable of putting humour in difficult places. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen Jojo Rabbit, but I think I Jojo have. Rabbit, I, Jojo I, Rabbit was my film discovery of the year last year. I, so you know, I think I think that puts humour. In a in a certain situations and it and it kind of works. It sort of works on multiple levels. This is a film about a fella going around killing all the gods, kidnapping children. Um, oh yeah, the god butcher or something. Into yeah, which is, Gore the god butcher, <laughs> which um, is cute. <laughs> yeah, I mean Christian Bale's actually all right in it, to be fair. But it's a really dark film. And then and they they spent half of Endgame setting it up so Thor would hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Obviously, could only get Chris Pratt for fifteen minutes. So they spend the first 20 minutes of the film ungetting themselves out of that situation. You think, well, why did you bother putting yourself in that situation? It's just full of non-sequiturs. It's full of unfunny humour. Um, I'm going to spoil it for everybody now, but um, Russell Crowe plays Zeus, which apparently they were keeping a secret. But it's been out at the cinema and it's on. you can buy it on 
It's on Disney Plus, so it's I assume Disney if you weren't to yeah. watch it, you've probably seen it by now. What? So they get Russell Crowe to play Zeus with a fake Greek accent. You know, Russell Crowe, the famous New Zealander. The whole thing was filmed in Australia and New Zealand, so it's yeah. But New Russell Crowe also showed up in the Man with Iron Fist, so yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he doesn't. He's he, but why has he got a Greek accent? Because Thor doesn't speak with a Norwegian accent. <laughs> no, no, no one else speaks with a fucking accent, and it's just awful and i don't understand how one of literally i think ragnarok is one of my favorite films like one of my 25 favorite films you know a film that i'll re-watch i know that probably looks badly on me and to find the sequel with the same people involved is so awful and no one had really told me how awful it was i know it had got mixed reviews it's nearly as bad as top gun maverick that's all i'm saying which I know everybody loves, and I'm just saying it to be controversial. But yeah, anyway, there you go. That was me ranting. So this week, I've watched a fabulous Japanese film. I've watched that, and I've watched tonight's film. Where will tonight's film go on the... It was bloody amazing, so it offended me in every level. <laughs> well, it's time to find out now as we fire the projector <coughs> for tonight's feature presentation, The Curse of the Golden Flower. I guess the Conan Flower is a 2006 wuxia drama uh, written and directed by Zhang Zimu, who you're probably best known for giving us not only Hero and House of the Flying Daggers, but also Raise the Red Lantern, which I believe Steven Stefanov. Yeah, so he's one of these, um, what they call, is it the fifth generation? Yeah, fifth generation Chinese filmmaker, um, along with people like Chen Cage. Uh, you know, the guys that sort of in the cultural revolution in China I had to go off and work on farms for a number of years so they sort of come with a certain they're kind of backed by the government but also they're quite slight sometimes can be quite slyly um, critical of the government they're in a very special place but yeah raise the red lantern um, uh, red oh, I can't say it uh, red sorghum that's another one quite often with Gong Li although he had fallen out with her for many years and this this film was a comeback but yeah he's got a, a really long um cinematic cv really but as you said um oh and also he did the um beijing 2008 olympic opening ceremony which is like that one that sort of changed everything didn't it and it's when when they started releasing opening ceremonies on dvd as well um, which I've done a review of on easternkicks.com, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> bizarrely. But yes, obviously, I think I spoke, we spoke about it when I chose it last time, you know, with the advent of, with, with the sort of the success of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, Hero for sure, um, got, got a much wider release than it probably ever would have done, as did uh, House of the Flying Daggers. Yep. And, and this film, to a degree, and then it all kind of ended. <laughs> oh, definitely. So I think when it, certainly when it came to with uh, when it came to Crouch's Hidden Dragon, T Tarantino had gone to bat for that film, making sure that the desert sequences had not been cut as Weinstein originally wanted to do. And then when Hero came out, it became a Quentin Tarantino presents Hero in the same way that he would with the release of Iron Monkey, um, using his name to really push forward the sort of cinema that he was like trying to promote along with their uh, films such as Chunking Express which he released for his role in Thunder Pictures. Obviously with uh, Hero being followed by Kurt House of the Flying Daggers, but for whatever reason, Curse of the Golden Flower, released only two years later, it remains a more largely forgotten part of the trilogy as it sort of came and went and received yeah. none of the fanfare of the previous two films. I mean, I guess I guess Hero had, you know, some of those dream fight matchups, and it was visually stunning, you know, with the use of colour, House of the Flying Daggers, similarly, um, you know, had that use of and, and it continues on here. I do remember there was a lot of blowback at the time because people thought Jeju was um, very wooden, and that's what people were slagging it off about. I'm, I, just, I just don't think it had the same. I, don't, I just don't think it was given this. I think the the 
the moment had gone. The the post <laughs> it just uh, it just just missed its uh, you know it, it, it its time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist had moved on. I certainly remember seeing here in the cinema and like being so excited when it opens with Jet Li versus Donnie Yen, finally mm. giving us the rematch we had long awaited since Once Upon a Time in China Part Two, um, and then with its extensive use of color to represent the different stories being told, mm. and then when we suddenly move on to House of Flying Daggers, and again we have that use of color which has become so synonymous with the work of. Uh, with his work as a director and certainly is more the case here um with when we look at guess the golden flower this color scheme is now changed to metallics in particular golds and yellows as well as silvers as being the more dominant colors here compared to like the follow-up films such as like shadow which uses blacks and grays and mm. it's this use of color which has really made zhang zimu's films certainly stand out and really when you look at curse of the golden flower it's really comes into full effect as we have scenes which are just drenched in colors we look at lavish paladisial layouts um at the same time having the regimentation there which is only emphasized by this use of color which is this time only maintained to uniform presence um and certainly indicating sides when we get into the more epic battle sequences in the final quarter of the film but the film itself is actually based on chow yu's 1934 play thunderstorm chow yu obviously being one of the playwrights in china it kind it kind of is i mean they say that don't they but i read them i haven't read the, i would say I it's closer than hamlet <laughs> as one person on wikipedia is claiming here oh that yeah that i i think i think it's it takes the the play is is <clears throat> it's a modern play it's set in earlier 20th century it's not set in this sort of um 900 era is that's about right although there's a load of things apparently wrong with this film but when it when it says it's set and when it is set but it doesn't matter it's in about 980 ad something like that 920 ad it's set whereas the play is set in sort of modern 1920s china um but so it takes that and the reason people say it's hamlet is because you know oh we've put a king and a queen in it <laughs> and and some sons and 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 there's some deaths and lots of but 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 what it does have is lots of incest, which is what <laughs> Thunderstorm is mostly about. <laughs> Spoilers. I will also say, mate, before you get into it, um, on the front of my DVD cover, it says Shimmering Martial Artistry. If you bought this thinking this was going to be a martial arts film and you saw Cherry Unfat there, hidden behind a, a goatee and lots of... You'd be very disappointed. There's There's about three seconds of martial arts in this film, but... That doesn't make it bad. I'm just saying it's misadvertised on the DVD. Yeah, and certainly you also mentioned about the time period. And when certainly when I've looked at the films in this trilogy, I never sort of like saw them as like historical documents of that particular period. Instead, saw them more as like costume drama fantasy in the same way that we look at like Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice. We don't look at them as historical documents. We just look well, at them. That- Absolutely, you know, There's wuxia, escapism, really, yeah, don't we? And, and, and wuxia, you know, the wuxia genre is set in this kind of timeless fantasy world. So all all those films that that even you know, even like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a wuxia film, yeah. And it's it's got some, it you know, the stories of heroes fighting against a corrupt, um, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Not necessarily a monarchy, but you know, a, a corrupt ruling class. That's the usual thing in Wuxia. Then there's all the things about sword play and running over trees and things like that. But the Wuxia itself, that kind of heroic sword play world, is timeless. They don't. They very rarely say this is set during this dynasty or that king. Um, you do get things like Redcliffe, obviously, which are more historical. You know, they're they're def- they're literally trying to look at a, a, some a, a literal famous battle that literally happened. Whereas, yeah, I, I I see Hero, House of Flying Daggers, and to a degree, this film are in the Wuxia universe, a fantasy, a timeless fantasy universe where nothing ever changes, but heroic deeds are done. Yeah. Um, the film itself weaves a twisted uh, tale of betrayal and. Uh uprising 
As here, Cho Yun Fat plays Emperor Ping, um, who has recently returned from a military campaign with his second son, Prince Jay, who played by Prince Jay Chao. At the same time, his uh, Empress has been having an affair with his first son, the Crown Prince Wan, uh, here played by Li Yu, who at the same time is also having an affair with the daughter of the Imperial Doctor and very keen on rejecting the throne so he can run away with her. At the same time, uh, the Empress has been plotting her own uprising and plans to use Prince Jai as the centerpiece of her strike back against the Emperor. Um, while at the same time, her deteriorating health has caused her to create a sudden interest in embroidering chrysanthemums or the golden flowers as the in time for the approaching festival. Um, this is a film I really, really enjoy, and I've never understood why it didn't get the same love as the first two, um, especially more than than the second film in particular. I thought that House of Flying Daggers was overlong in parts and certainly dragged out its forest sequences as much fun as it was watching uh, watching uh, Zhang Ji play, uh, play beat the drums with her silk skirts um, I felt that the second half left a lot to be desired even though it was obviously visually stunning this film is just really gripping from start to finish with Chaeyoung Fat giving a more reserved performance and certainly in many ways giving the kind of performance that brings to mind Brando in The Godfather here he is all about subtle gestures and hints of violence without actually having to resort to the acts of violence himself apart from one or two moments where he still shows that he has strength not only in his stature but also in his swordsman ability as well yeah i mean you've you've missed out the fact i don't think you mentioned that he's poisoning his wife at the same time i was gonna get on to that <laughs> as well but yeah, yes there's, he is. there's 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 incest there's poisoning your wife there's uh, there's more to come this is a this is a classic tale of medieval kings and queens and I guess that's where the people sort of put the whole Hamlet thing on, isn't it? Where, where well, I mean, if it was Hamlet, then thing. it would need to be the son. Sorry, it's not going after his uncle who poisoned his father. Yeah. And 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 Macbeth as well. It's got sort of all those King Lear. You could there's a lot of Shakespeareanness about this. Uh, there's a it's a court intrigue drama with people wearing lots of colourful armour and the walls painted in glorious rainbow metallics like you said i mean it's just a treat for the eyes um but it also i'm dreading it and you've already done the the one flower in the world that none of us can pronounce properly when we think about <laughs> chrysanthemums. it chrysanthemum yeah i've yep. been dreading that since i watched it i've been dreading saying we're gonna have to say chrysanthemum several times and i know we're gonna fall over it <laughs> but we didn't we've both succeeded so that the shame whole downhill from here. Yeah, shame on me for having doubts in our ability to talk. But as you mentioned already, I mean, the Emperor is very aware that his Empress is, uh, plot is plotting something. So he's been having her take medicine uh, for her anemia, which contains a black fungus which will reduce her mental health. Uh, so at the same time, she's sort of wondering why she's struggling and trying to plot her uprising. And at the same time, he's going, he's uh, conducting doing his own things to keep his kingdom in order, shall we say. But one of the more interesting aspects of the film is just the levels of like industry within this palace. Everything runs like clockwork. We see this right from the opening where you've got the courtesans who are in two, in, in rows where they uh, will, one will be behind the other helping they get dressed they switch around and they do the same thing and everything just running like clockwork and this continues into like the kitchens and every aspect of this palace has got such a and, level of like industry to and it every hour and it is the hour of the monkey it is time for this time it is the hour of the tiger and and yeah there's it's a noisy old place isn't it but everyone is as you say the number of people working at this palace is phenomenal oh definitely um, so and <laughs> Although there's even more people hiding, apparently, as we find out later. But yes, it is a um, 
it's a hive of industry. It's a mini city state all of its own, it feels like. And certainly when we go into like the kitchen areas and we've got drawers being pulled out and we've got multiple things being boiled, we've got the Emperor's Seat, which has got its own steam bath underneath it, which I'm still not sure what was going on with that, but it looked really cool. Yeah, you probably don't want to try it for real. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so... These little things are just so so great, and the fact that this is like a cast of thousands that that he's working with here, even though there are obviously later sequences where the CGI comes into effect, and certainly time has not been kind to 2006 CGI, as these mm. scenes do tend to stand out, but when you have the scenes where it is just thousands of actors, and you look at the intricacies of these costumes, and you think that just imagine like the warehouse of people that must have needed to get all these actors ready because yeah the intricate hair and costumes and it's amazing i was i was reading up on it so at the time so i don't know if this is still true but it was the biggest set ever done for a chinese film um um it was and, and there were literally a thousand actors involved in 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 the you know most of them extras obviously but you know there is a lot of cgi as you state especially in that sort of final sequence in fact all over the place a lot lots of the sets don't really exist they're clearly cgi and sometimes you're right it looks a bit janky but it's just this yeah it's it's like um it's like watching something like ran kurosawa's ran but with way more sort of practical detail way more i mean they what's the other thing they're saying yeah apparently most of the soldiers in it are wearing five to seven layers of i'm gonna call it period authentic but but of, of of costuming you can't even make it out this is a film that demands to get a blu-ray release and i don't think it has i think it's only available on dvd could be wrong tell me if i'm wrong everybody but yeah, it was even even on janky old DVD, mate. It looked amazing. Yeah, I'd certainly really enjoy this. And as you mentioned already, with the the armor, I mean, when we see the second son and the emperor having a spirited showdown, and you see that the multi-level plating of the armor is not just one solid piece. Uh, this is like. It's almost like uh, when you look at like an armadillo's armoring, how one piece overlaps the next, and this goes all the way down to the hand, and how it forms basically the gauntlet with the sword. And even though there's like scenes uh, where the things get fantastical, as we said, there's the Russia elements there, so swords are flung through the air. We have ninjas flying through the air as well as they uh, use rope scythes, which is a really cool weapon, I have to say. Yeah, it reminds me of the old flying guillotines. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and the, there are a lot of yeah, a lot of they're not ninjas, are they? Because that would be Japanese, wouldn't they? I don't know what they are, but they're sort of like, sort of black masked and hooded um, people that work for the Emperor King. Again, only in in English subtitles is an emperor in the proper text he's king but that would make him king ping so i imagine that's why they said emperor <laughs> um but uh yeah the, the, you know i, I said it, it wasn't a martial arts film but it is a film with great and expansive action sequences it's just you know don't don't come here if you want to see some like chow yun fat bust out some moves it's not no, I mean it's it's definitely obviously a later period Chow Yun mm. Fat movie, yeah, so bless, it's bless more him. about the dramatics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's we talked about him last episode, I think, about his. I can't remember why we talked about him, but or maybe it was off 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 camera, off off mic. But you know, the guy has got charisma. He's got screen charisma, and the fact you know he spends most of the movie, you can you know his his body and face are obscured by a helmet and the goatee and later on he he's got a luscious long hair later on that you, you see but you know you wouldn't necessarily know it was him if you didn't know but he's just a really good actor and he's got so much charisma so much screen presence he's fantastic even though he's a complete dick not Chow Yun-Fat I'm sure he's lovely but the 
the kingpin is is one of the most horrible people I've ever ever encountered. I don't know if I would call him horrible as such. I mean, yes, he's got some unscrupulous me- methods of maintaining order in his kingdom, but he's very from the start. He lays out to his son, he's sort of like, "Don't take what is not given to you." Oh, he has. He's a, he's a, you know he has. He's a master that. tactician, and it doesn't just like it's not just limited to the battlefield. It's to his whole life as well. He is yeah. two moves ahead of everyone. Yeah, and he he makes. But he is poisoning his wife, and he does kill two. Well, he kills one of his sons and <laughs> drives, <laughs> drives, drives. Um, does he kill? Yeah, he drives another one to suicide, and we won't spoil it too much. But let's just say, of the three sons, it really plays up the Shakespearean <laughs> tragedy, doesn't it? By the end, it really does. But he makes it. There's an early on. There's a big play, and he talks about. So he, he, there's this. Festival of the Chrysanthemums coming up, and the chrysanthemums, and I've said it twice in a sentence, I'm no one going to fall over it, are a very important flower in Chinese sort of culture and iconography, and it means you know, all kinds of things. And there literally are festivals of chrysanthemums, so that's not not too crazy. But he's looking out from his amazing palace over this sort of the courtyard. I, I want to call it a courtyard, mate, but it's more yeah, like 50, 50 football pitches is what it is of chrysanthemums. But it's not even that. It's sort of like one of three. Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's a long run-up to this uh, it, it, palace. It, it really is. But he's at the table and they're having breakfast and, you know, his son's come back from the war and his younger son is trying to get him. But he says, no, look, here's... And he says, the earth is square. The, the, the empire is round, blah, blah, blah. And everything has got to be just so everything has its place in the world and as you said you know don't don't talk if you haven't got the right thing to say he says to his son because the youngest son says something along the lines of you know oh i've been thinking because the youngest son wants to go to battle to be like his big brother his middle brother and he goes but he, he has a sort of a roundabout way of asking for it just to shut up until you're ready to say what you're gonna say and <laughs> there is this kind of control all over it you will take your medicine queen and you will take it when, that. yeah, when you're uh, when you are told to. Otherwise, it won't work. That's how medicine is. Now, obviously, we know he's poisoning her, but at the same time, he's a stickler for these rules and this way of working. And you're right; he's he he knows everything that's going on. He makes it quite clear that he knows that his wife is diddling his older son. Later on, yeah. By the way that older son has a different mother <laughs> it's that 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 isn't the incest <laughs> that comes later um, oh that is just in the when <laughs> when the tragedy is just coming out from the walls isn't it really it's that, basically that scene in aliens where all the marines get attacked that's what tragedy is the yeah. aliens represent tragedy in this movie the poor the poor prince wan it's just fucking laid down on him one thing after another <laughs> everything that's shitty in his life just he doesn't even does he try and commit suicide or is he attacked i can't remember i think he tries to commit suicide doesn't he and he's sort of rescued and he's in pretty ill health and then gets told all the bad things that are going on he's he's, he's yeah because he's not as smart his dad knows everything that's his dad the king knows everything that's happening in that 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 castle or whatever it is um mm. whereas everybody else only knows bits of it and even gong lee who is marvelous in this as well oh definitely i wanted to just talk about gong lee because she is absolutely phenomenal in this film and she you look at her role and there's a lot of actresses who just basically let the costume do the heavy work here but here it's you look at the how she's dressed and stuff and you and she just plays off this. This is a woman of status and power. Uh, certainly within the, the palace that she, like, is feared in the same way the emperor himself is. Um, the fact that she has her own, like, um, group of monks who have to announce her, her entry to places. And that she can call for uh, people who displease her to be branded in the face if she so chooses as... Uh, the we find out with the doctor's daughter when he uh, she catches him gallivanting with her son who I don't remember this is Andrew maybe yes he's the one who's also been having so, a fling so, with her so, so yeah so we'll we'll spoil it just just to make sure everyone understands what's going on you you did a good job earlier on so basically Gong Li who is the queen has been 
having an affair with the crown prince, the oldest son of the king, but yep. she's the second wife. So she is the mother of Jay Chu and the and the and the bratty young kid. Oh, he's not that young, but he is younger than the others. But yeah, she's having an affair with her her stepson, I guess is is what we would call it. Another lady turns up with like you say with a brand on her face, who turns out not only to be the wife of the Imperial Doctor, but the ex first wife of the Emperor, and who is the mother of both the crown prince and the young lady that he wants to run away with and stop being king with <laughs> that is the that is that is uh that is the great reveal it's fairly clear to us that because they're having a secret affair and then all the parents find out and go shit no <laughs> but the way that gongli drops it on him yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like you want to have think i've got power yeah, she's your sister. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> yeah, drop the mic and leave. Yeah. That's what she has these like moments, moments of, and have just the performance she gives because it's shot largely with her face square in the frame, mm. and you see all the intricate jewelry and the hair and what she's wearing and stuff. But the, the her expressions, the way that she like carries herself, and that she's got this sort of like drive and determination, even though she knows that her health is ailing, is ailing. Mm. Uh, which obviously there's all the emperor poisoning her, <laughs> and even like the scenes of like she has to take her medicine, but it's five people. This line of like handmaidens that have to come up, and how she like covers her mouth when she spits because she's the emperor. She can't be seen spitting into a bowl, so she has to like cover her mouth with like the long sleeve acting as a veil. And I just was, I just was like totally engrossed with her performance, and it sort of like made me wonder, so like why we don't talk about Gong Li more um, because she has been in a lot of really important films and certainly she's also made a number of films in the, the West, West, which weren't well, yeah. great, like Hannibal Rising and Miami Vice, but she was good. <laughs> and she was good in the Geisha film. Uh, oh yeah, Memoirs of a Geisha, which obviously yeah. had Michelle Yeoh and um, Zhang Yi as well, I yeah. think. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, and I, I think last week when I said I wanted to bring it, I think Gong Li was the reason I wanted to bring it because she is. I mean, just let's just let's look at a Wikipedia page. The second sentence is she has starred in three of the four Chinese language films that have been ever nominated for Best International Feature Film, right? She, three of the four, there's only been four Chinese films, she's, she's the star in three of them. She's, um, She's still only fifty six, but she feels like she's been around forever. <laughs> um, and and yes, and she has starred in classic sort of Chinese cinema. She's made the breakout into Western cinema. You know, maybe not the greatest films of all time, um, but she's also in. Um, I think she's in a. She's in at least one Stephen Chow movie. I think she's in Flirting Scholar, isn't she? Um, so she does serious movies, she can do comedy, she can do Western stuff, she can... I just think she's like this... She's not unheralded, that would be wrong, but I think she's only heralded in the world of the sort of international film fan, whereas really she should be an international figure, period, to my view. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, certainly when we look at the you know the obviously the standouts when it comes to the female act female actresses within Asian cinema obviously we have the heroic trio should we say uh with Nita Marie, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Maggie Chung and then we've got the next line down and I would say obviously that's the likes of Gong Li um with obviously people like um and then like Maggie yeah. Q so and uh Zhang Zimu yeah, Zhang 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 Ziyi, you're now yeah, Zhang Ziyi. Now, now you're confusing everybody, and and yes, and there there are others. You know, oh, we've talked to four. There's often always four actresses of each era, aren't there? Um, that we talk about, but you know, Gong Li is, has you know, she, in main mainland Chinese cinema, I think there's very few people to to, to stop her, and she still looks stunning. The bitch. <laughs> yes. Oh, she was also in. Um, 
There's Dude. a film with um, John Cusack called Shanghai. Have you ever seen that? No, it's I haven't. Amer- it's an American film sort of set in my favourite time period. Sort of. 1940s. 1940s Shanghai, mate. You can't you can't go wrong with that. But yeah, Shaoyan Fat's in it as well. Actually, it's a... Shaoyan <laughs> Fat would turn to the opening of an envelope, well, it seems, some days. That, that Ken Watanabe's in it as well. It's got it's got <laughs> every every well known um, Asian actor and actress in it, and John Cusack for some reason. It's a really good film actually. Um, although it took five years to get released in the, in America, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, we say that, and then we obviously look at like Flowers of War, <gasps> a Christian Bale movie. Which, yeah, which this uh, is Zhang Yimou. This the, the same director as this. Again, film. it yes. uh, came and disappeared, and then he would obviously go into like make Great War, which again we. We got caught up in the fact that they had Matt Damon in, forgetting the fact that Matt Damon was the same as Raymond Bourbon in Godzilla, um, the original 1950s Godzilla, uh, just basically there so they could flog it to American mm. audiences. He's I, yeah, barely I, anyone of importance in it. Yeah, I mean, I do I do feel like Zhang Yimou has, as a director, has had got a bit guilty of getting a bit tied up in these big epics certainly you could accuse them of him being a little bit political sort of pro-party stuff um even though i hinted at the beginning you know sometimes his stuff is given a cocking a snoop to the uh to the cccp um but then i think you really enjoyed shadow didn't you i did really enjoy shadow i think shadow was which is a sort of a step down in terms of scale isn't it shadow is i would say it's very this is what i'm trying to trying to play to really because it's much more of the the wuxia sort of traditional sort of wuxia um action sort of movie and i'm trying to think of like the best sort of example really to what to pair it to i would say it's closer to like crouching tiger hidden dragon than the likes of someone like hero or even like curse of the golden flower um as it's much more sort of action orientated but at the same time he maintains his color palettes in that case it's blacks and grays um and it also features the battle umbrella which is probably one of the coolest weapons in martial arts cinema and it's a film that I will bring to the show at some point. Um, not our next episode, because I've got something very special for that one, but somewhere uh, down the line it is on the list. So, Yeah, I mean, I think, as <clears throat> just as an aside, I think, you know, I think we both recognise Chinese cinema, proper Chinese cinema, mainland China, is, isn't something we've done a lot of. Um, we did Touch of Sin, this, and I can't think of much else, really. So, yeah, I think that, I think there's a whole world of films that we can bring, not just Yang Yi movie films but anyway sorry that was very rambly um i think we were i think we were stoling the um the qualities of gong lee and we must we must watch more of her and she's a she's a treasure for our our little world i definitely think we should uh we should we do need to cover more gong lee movies on on the the show i mean certainly we can look at like 2046 for example which is obviously um and but then again we haven't even covered in the move for love so i think we've made us sit down and cover both of those in the same episode yeah, i i think we'll probably talk about raise the red lantern I th- that that will we'll not two two for one on that but yeah we shall see we will get there but uh Gong Li's uh, wardrobe would serve as inspiration for mattel's collectible barbie doll the empress of the golden blossom which was released under the golden label yeah, so you can have a crossover with one of my other podcasts, can't you? <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> yes, I saw that and noticed that, and I am going to go and look on eBay to see if I can find it, because the, the costuming is astonishing. Um, oh, unquestionably so, and I I love this sort of, like, art house badass cinema that that we have here, because obviously you look at, like, Crouch and Tiger and Dragon, which was obviously the first example, and then, like, Into Hero, and that trilogy and it was like funny you were sort of like having like as michelle you're saying it's like oh it's like sense and sensibility but with kung fu and it's like yes it pretty much is you've got these drama sections which are really fantastic and engaging and at the same time you've got these battle sequences which are also really exciting and engaging as we have the big showdown on the palace and we basically realize that the emperor has been ahead of the game by a bigger margin than we perhaps were led to believe. Um, uh, a, a, a lot further ahead. <laughs> as it's less a battle, more a horrible massacre. <laughs> it is, yeah. So Gong Li's been sort of 
arranging this rebellion. She she's fully aware she's being poisoned, and she she gets um middle son on board, and she J Chu's character. I can't remember what his name is, but she gets him Jai, isn't it? Yeah. Um, gets him on board to lead a rebellion. She's got thousand. She's made a thousand scarves, ten thousand scarves. Can't remember, but she's got a lot of people to have these scarves. The, the chrysanthemum being sort of the 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 mark of being a member of the rebellion and. The big day comes and Jay Chu's character brings this golden army to the gates of the uh, of the um, palace only to find out there's fucking thousands of people on the emperor's side. Oh yeah, there's over a thousand real soldiers that are used in this, this yeah. actual battle and it yeah. unsurprisingly took 20 days to shoot this sequence and You'd look at the sheer number of bodies mm. that are in this. I mean, the only thing that I've seen comparable to this is the Battle of the Bastards in Game of Thrones. And yeah, it's 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 that level. It's it's that level of of battle. Um, what I will say is, we were talking a lot about all that armor and stuff they were wearing. Not very good, is it? <laughs> Arrows are just shooting through it, and and, and, and yeah, no, no one seems very protected by the. Um, well, by their armors. The thing with the when you're shooting arrows, especially like longbows, it's designed to punch through armor. With mm. when you wear armor, it's designed really to stop against like bladed weapons. Uh, yeah. That's why the joints are covered, which are obviously the soft points and where you're going to receive the most amount of damage. It's mainly about deflecting rather than yeah having something not, that's not. It's not very through. good in this kind of close up just running at stuff way there's every oh and those poor guys that are getting crushed underneath there's like this moving wall isn't there and the guys are just getting crushed underneath it it's a massacre oh it's, and it's an absolute it, massacre it only gets like punctuated further itself like when he and the emperor's like basically like i put the standard there to give you a chance to turn back and you rejected it and mm. it's like well, can't fault that logic, but you get to the final bit of the sequence, and you real and you see these lines of archers come up, and you realise no, they're done, mm. and it's it's more. I mean, we're obviously used to seeing like big archer ranks and things when you watch things like Lord of the Rings or whatnot, but this just like takes it to another level. It's sort of like there seems to be like guys rising up from every conceivable angle of the palace it's like where are you hiding all these people um and unfortunately we don't they don't go for the same effect of like the sky turning dark that we see at the end of hero which i thought was kind of a missed opportunity and it does reflect the cgi gets a little crappy um but it's hard to fault that tactic i mean certainly if you play warhammer and play bretatonians the whole tactic is basically to soften the enemy lines with hordes of arrows and then smash through them with cavalry um, and uh, this seems to be a similar thing here where you just basically box them in and then pelt them with arrows but it no it, it, it's it's the shortest uprising of all time frankly it is, it's sort of like you uh, you, you uh, fight very bravely and die very poorly but at the same time you know the the call goes out. You don't hurt Prince Jai. He has to survive. And again, this sort of leads into Chow Yun Fat's character. Sort of cruelty is that he wants his traitorous son to survive, so he can invoke even worse punishment than death on him. Yeah, which is to continue killing his mother. And one of my favourite shots of, of that big final place, because when they're having the big battle, they're basically stomping for the chrysanthemums and they're smashing all these vases as they like march through the uh, courtyard. And then when the battle's over and they cleared all the bodies away, you have thousands of people just coming down and replacing it. The machine is once again back in, in action. Oh, yeah. um, and as I said, you're just seeing like like all these smash flowers are just replaced and everything's just returned to normal it's like a stone being thrown into a lake they had the ripple and then it's a smooth surface again mm. yes apart from all the crushed chrysanthemums oh i've said it wrong finally but 
Yeah, I know, it's spectacular. And I think I've also obviously faked you out because I put a fake star rating on um, Letterboxd. I don't know. Because, <laughs> yeah, I thought this was great. It was kind of the best. Because, oh, you know, I like a bit of court drama, a bit of court intrigue, a bit of... Mm. Bit of um, you know, royal incest, good, good, good stuff. And then, I I liked the battle scene for its scale. I think I had some issues with it, you know, and I think some of the CGI didn't quite work. But it wasn't. It it was all over and done with in like twenty five minutes. Whereas it could have just gone on. It was just a problem I have sometimes with some of these films. Sort of the battles go on and on and on. Um, whereas this, it was deliberately a massacre, and it just absolutely fit with what we're finding out about people. It's a, it's a really. I don't think you can call the Zhang Yimou film a hidden gem, but I think it is, <laughs> and, and and I will once again say it needs to have a Blu-ray so we can see these colours properly. It certainly needs to be more recognised than it than it is. Mm. Certainly, um, I think at the moment it's all like people thought when you talk to people about the trilogy, they're like, "Oh, I saw a hero and I saw has the flying daggers," and is and then that was it, wasn't it? And it's like, nope, there was one more film, and you didn't even watch. <laughs> even yeah. the appeal of Chow Yun Fat being in your movie did not somehow like draw you in to watch it. Some, yeah, yeah, good, good, good move, good choice, Stephen. Well done. <laughs> sorry sorry but I've, um I've... yeah it's a lengthy two hours but it certainly flies by yeah it's not a, it's not an onerous two hours uh, you know I, I struggle with film it's it's not over to us but 148 something like that and um it, it it's it's not too talky but the visuals will keep you entertained those those glorious sort of rainbow effect passageways and the outfits and the hair and the armor and it's and it's not too there's a couple of sort of japanese movies that have a sort of similar view but it all feels a bit uncanny valley everything feels fairly realistic i can imagine this this place really existed although clearly it couldn't have done those (laughs) those color things just aren't aren't possible to to create but yeah yeah just a, a yeah, people should watch it. Good film. Um, so that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Come say hi to us there. Uh, you can also check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, which has got our full archive of episodes, including our rundown of Stephen... Um, I went down to Kashimike month, uh, so our Anthony Wong month. Uh, we've got the Battle Royale chapter by chapter breakdown. And you can also send us questions to the show. Let us know uh, what you think of the show. Give us your feedback. Got a question you want to ask us about uh, Asian cinema? You want us to recommend you something? You want to give your opinion on something? Just send it all through our contact to the section there, or you can email us through the social media. Anyway, it's good. Or if that doesn't work for you, just email us. Just email us at acfilmclub at yahoo.co.uk. And if you haven't done already, also check out our sponsor, yespleasevintage.com, um, for great homewares and vintage items. Um, the, Lindsay is obviously out at various craft fairs and flea markets in the Baltimore area, so uh, you can get full details of that through her site as well. But on the next episode, it's my turn to pick, and as I said, I've got something special. Um, And we're going to be looking at the most infamous cat-free film of all time, and a film which has got a surprisingly large amount of special edition box sets released for it as well. Okay, I'm excited. (laughs) Uh, This is a film directed by Clarence Ford, Naked Killer. Is this another of the naked films that we're doing? Have you never seen Naked Killer, Stephen? I don't think... I can't remember. But don't worry, I'm going to look it up. So this is a cat-free film from 1993. Is it a Wong Jing special? This is uh, described as a stylish, ultra-violent and totally over-the-edge director. Clarence Ford creates a free-fall vision of delirious sadoeroticism in the most groundbreaking cat-free fuller of all time. Um, I'm very surprised that you have not heard well, of Well, I'm sure this. I've seen it. it. I'm just trying to see who's it. It's a Ching Mai Yao film, right? Simon Yam yes. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of Karen course Ng. I've seen it. 
Yes. It's because you called him Clarence Ford. Whereas he is actually a Hong Kong director called Clarence Fox Yu Long. But most directors, most Hong Kong people just have a fake English first name, not family name. <laughs> so you fooled me. I was thinking, I haven't heard of this. Listen. But yes, yes, of course I've seen it. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's enjoy a film about a woman who stabs men in the nuts. <laughs> so that's obviously coming up on our next episode. So join us for Naked Killer. Another rob into the wonderful world of cat-free cinema. Uh, but until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Stephen. Pleasure as always. And uh, join us next time for Naked Killer. Until then, good night. Hey! 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.